This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And, you know, one of the things that we have to talk about at the Crowncast is time marches on. It continues. Father Time is undefeated, and eventually it rolls you to things like Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, everybody. If you're celebrating, enjoy it. Uh, If you're anti-celebrating, enjoy it. However you want to live it up, enjoy it. And I I think I have reason to believe that if you're listening to this podcast, at least 90% of you are also excited for time to roll on to the opening match day weekend. And it's coming. It's coming soon. So here... Uh, to be to be beholden to Father Time with me is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, guys. One day older. <laughs> and Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. We do have a few uh, big points to talk about today. Obviously, the club has announced a, a signing. It came a little Ooh. bit later than we probably all would have expected, but we do have a signing, uh, one who I'm going to refer to, stealing it directly from Josh, as Didi. That way, I cannot possibly mispronounce his name josh that's probably a pretty good place to start do you want to start on him or do you want to shuffle it up a little bit no i think i think he's where to start because we've been dying as a fan base i think for an actual signing that was not a goalkeeper Mm -hmm. and this guy looks like he could be someone who comes into this team um and and could make an impact. I I think looking at him on paper, you have to think that he is a direct replacement for another abbreviated guy in Derek Jones or DJ. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when you look at them both from a physical standpoint, um, but also from a pure numbers standpoint of what they did in their respective leagues the last time that they they both got runouts, they look pretty similar on paper. And so I think it ma- the signing makes a lot of sense uh, from that standpoint. And I do think it's really only fair to actually say his name at least once. Uh, <laughs> and I am going to do my best. It's Jabril Diani. Yep. Uh, so if yep. I have murdered that, my apologies. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. But I'm going to refer to him as Didi. Ewan, before we get into some sort of deep dive numbers on this guy... You've lo- looked at a little bit of game film for him. How does he strike you? Yeah, he's. Um, you mentioned Derek Jones there as a comparison. That's kind of whose spot he's uh, theoretically taking. Uh, and from a physicality standpoint, that that kind of matches up. Josh will go into that a little bit more here, I'm sure, with the with the numbers that we've got. Um, but yeah, matches up pretty well in terms of just a physical uh, from a physical perspective. But one thing that you get from what I've watched of him, and and I I want to caveat this with saying that it's only three it's only three full matches of him that I've watched, which you know uh, is not enough for anyone to make any grand uh, takeaways on a player. I'm sure we get three uh, three games into this season, we're not going to take away anything massively from what we see from him off that. So I don't want to completely you know make a big um, outcome off what I've seen so far from him on this. But just a couple of things that you see from him. Uh, the defensive transition stuff from him is, is not Derek Jones-esque. It, it's not at that level. Um, and the defensive stuff in general, from what I've seen, isn't quite to that standard from from, a, from as a whole. it's he, He's not as good at covering space. He's not as good at, at tracking his runners into the box or tracking his runners generally when we get into man, uh, man-to-man out of, out of possession situations, or I should say uh, when his team are getting into... Uh, man-to-man out of possession situations 
it, it did leave a lot, of, a little bit to be desired. Uh, and I was kind of trying to figure out if there was just a little bit of misunderstanding from the tactical perspective of his team. Because when I saw them in transition situations, when they had the ball, you can see an absolute gazelle in open field. He's he's overlapping and, and you can see the physical attributes there. Whereas in defensive situations, I don't know if he's been told to hold back a little bit for cutbacks. I don't know if he's been told to hold back a little bit because... If the ball is cleared when it's directly put into the box, they want numbers in those areas, that those famous kind of zones which were set out when you, you cut the field into little sections. They want him to be in certain areas because that's what the stats show or the analytics show. If you're in these areas, this is where it will commonly fall. We want you to stay here, even if it looks a little bit weird from a pure just watching the game perspective. Don't worry, trust the numbers, it'll work out. But there were a little bit of weird things that I saw from watching him. There were some pluses from seeing him uh, in, in attacking situations. Ultimately, the main thing I come away with um, from this is that he's a number six who I still don't think quite fits the criteria of what I would like from a lone six in possession in terms of build-up. Pairing that with what we've seen from these preseason friendlies, it doesn't like it doesn't look like we're a team that's going to be building up from the back in any um, any overly impressive way. It, it fits the profile of a team that is going to get the ball up pretty quick, be direct and attack spaces and cover spaces. So. He fits for what we're trying to do from that perspective. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I've seen from these games. And I don't want to take away too much from it. But So Ewan, I spent a little bit of time uh, going in and watching some film of him as well. And to be fair, a lot of the film I'm looking at is like <clears throat> French League 2. So uh, despite the fact that this is statistically aligned, as Josh has pointed out, with uh, the MLS in terms of, you know, maybe we could see these two leagues as similar difficulties. I see him kind of spending a lot of time as that solo number six. And one of the things that I inherently see differently between him and DJ is that my first vision of him is not him wanting to hold the ball. It's him wanting to move into the space, take the ball and move it somewhere else. And I like the idea of having somebody who can keep things ticking over. You know, if we, we think about the players in the, the world, like the Jorginhos who are maybe not the fastest guys in the world, maybe not the strongest guys in the world, but they're positionally quite good and they can keep the ball ticking over. I don't see a lot of like dagger through ball or really great, uh, you know, pushing through lines out of this guy yet. He can pass off of both feet, although I will admit off of uh, his weaker foot, the ball can be a little bit bouncy. You know, it doesn't look comfortable yet, but he will do it. As far as this guy goes coming in, do you feel like technically, because physically he's six foot five and a bit of a gazelle, technically he could succeed here or he needs room to grow before he could like have a starting hold? To put it from the technical perspective, there's players who you want to operate in small spaces and players that you want to operate in large spaces. Players that you want to operate in small spaces, you know, tidy feet, can get out of the feet quickly, one touch, two touch, everything's very crisp. Players who you want to play in bigger spaces, often the physical profiles are a little bit better, uh, a little bit bigger. And you want them playing further up the field once you've beaten a press, if you're up against a team that's going to get high against you, like Charlotte wants to do against their opposition. That's a way of potentially thinking about it versus just directly thinking six or eight or whatever you may, uh, however you may think of it from that perspective. I think with him, if we ever get into a situation where a team is getting very high on us, wanting to press us aggressively, get into that man-to-man stuff that we like to do a lot of the time, he's probably not going to be your man for it. What you described there from what you've watched from him is absolutely correct. 
in terms of the quick ticking over, trying to get it out and move up into spaces because you could tell they didn't want him to be holding the ball in those tight areas when people were approaching him because they know that, like you say, the ball is a little bit bouncy off his foot. He's not very neat and tidy. But he can do things when he's getting ahead of the ball, once the press is beaten and driving into space. The main worry that I take away from that is that I feel like not not exactly similar players, but similar traits. I feel like I'm talking about Ashley Westwood when I talk about uh, Gibral Diani a little bit there. Players who should be getting higher up the field, not ideal sixes, want to be driving into space. Again, not perfect comparisons of players, but wanting to be doing similar things. So again, I don't want to be taking too many massive conclusions from what I've watched. It's just three full games. It is what it is. But I don't see a player, like all of last season, I talked about a one of six who can do this and do this and do this. I don't think that's who Dribble Diani is. Not writing him off as a player, but I, I don't think that's what he can do. So when you say from that technical perspective, can he do this? Can he do that? I do doubt him in those tight spaces where you need a six to be great when a team is being aggressive against you, which I think we'll see more of this upcoming season against Dean Smith's system. Yeah, one of the, the last things I'll talk about on him before I jump back to Josh is... Uh, one of the things I noticed in his film is that he is quite good when the ball's in front of him of knowing what's in front of him. So I saw a lot of his film where a, a ball would be uh, kicked long out from the opponent's defensive side, and he would be sitting in that six. And obviously he has a height advantage that gives him some benefit, right? But he didn't just go up and head the ball. Eight times out of 10, he headed the ball down to one of his players and probably I would say five-ish times out of 10 or one out of every two, it was not just the right move. It was an attacking header, right? So he headed the ball over a line of, of defense into open space that somebody could run in on. How much of that is connection with somebody he knows really well? A lot of the ones that I saw went out to his right side winger, which means that he might've had like a very good connection with that winger. But I like that in a player you know, we talk about the fact that he's not a super young guy. He uses his height to his advantage. And when the play is in front of him, when he can see it coming at him, at the very least, I've noticed uh, the ability to process one step ahead. Josh, uh, you have mountains of data on this guy. <laughs> you and I just went and we watched him on film. We don't know anything. You're the man with the real numbers. What does this guy look like? Well, so I think that brings up the interesting point, because in all honesty, 90% of Charlotte fans are probably not active watchers of the French League, too. And so they're going to go to places like I did to FB Ref to, to look at the numbers. And I think numbers can be very useful, but you do have to have the context. And I actually think watching a player can help give that context for the numbers. What I will say is, there is a little bit of discrepancy between the numbers and what you guys have seen on film. As Ewan said, and as Logan said, like it's a small percentage of his plays that they've watched. And so maybe these numbers would play out over a larger sample. I would also say that, yeah, that the other interesting thing about him is that he played a lot in 2022-23, this, this, this current season. He only appeared in two games uh, for, his, for his former club. Um, and after the new year, he wasn't even in the squad. So when we're looking at these numbers, we're really looking at a year and a half ago. But the numbers look good on paper. You know, Ewan was was talking about his defense. And I, I think what's interesting is that when you look at the defensive numbers, they pan out well 
um, for that league that he was in. For instance, you know, he's in the, the 93rd percentile for tackles. He's in the 92nd percentile for passes blocked, the 92nd for interceptions. The numbers on paper, when I look at them, I think this guy looks like Derek Jones, but slightly better in all these different categories. But I would caution anyone from just sort of jumping to that straight conclusion because all the normal caveats apply. It's a different league. It's a different system. Um, The MLS is going to be different, probably a little bit more physical than he's used to, just in terms of like the raw athleticism of this league. Not to say that the French second league isn't athletic, but MLS does have a little bit of, I think, a deserved reputation for that. so when I look at him, I, to be truthful, I'm cautiously optimistic because I think that there is a player here who could translate well into this side. But the other thing that, to be honest with you, kind of I like about this is I don't know that this is a guy who is going to stop the progression of any younger person that's coming behind him, any younger player. And looking at what Charlotte as an organization is doing, I think that's kind of a good thing. This guy looks like a guy who has a ton of experience, can come in, solidify that midfield, maybe even play in the back line if really needed, and provide another experienced body. But if we have a young guy who's coming up, who is knocking down the door, they're not going to look at Diani and say, we can't start this young guy because we have Jabril Diani. I think they'll look and say, okay, good. He served his purpose. That that makes it seem bad. But, you know, he served his role for now, and now we can sort of move on to, to someone with a little bit higher of a ceiling. Yeah, I mean, you can go ahead and say Nikola Pekovic's name. I mean, we're not... <laughs> like, we know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, I, I do think you bring up a good point. How does this affect Nikola Pekovic uh, in the squad? I do think that there is an element in this squad that every single midfielder is expected to be able to get forward. I think if you look at where Ashley Westwood has gotten to in the late stages of Charlotte FC's season last year, and if you look at where Ashley Westwood has found himself in the preseason stuff, uh, the way we have set up, I do think that there is an acknowledgement that anyone in the center of the pitch might end up in the attacking side of the pitch and, and should be able to handle some of that i mean in preseason we've seen petkovic get quite high on the pitch and and have attacking responsibility had an assist today in our friendly had an assist today in our friendly which we did win uh, a 3-0 we'll talk briefly about that later the adding another midfielder into here 28 years old big guy uh tough to get off of the ball can fill in for ashley westwood I'm air quoting that for those of you who can't see me through this podcast. I I think that he has a lot of use in Charlotte FC. I personally see this as somebody who could potentially be a very, very small tick upgrade on on DJ and not much else. I I, I think I agree that he doesn't really block the path of Nikola Petkovic. At the same time, I think he could come in and and make a big difference. Josh yeah, I just want to say, and I think I'm going to speak for you a little bit because I, I just think I know your feelings on DJ are pretty similar to mine. Saying it's a slight upgrade on DJ, I don't think that that's necessarily a slight on Diani or on DJ. 
like DJ played a really important role for our squad the past couple of years. And there were some games where I would argue he made the win or he made that side with, with what he did. So I just want to, you know, for listeners out there, I, I want to make it clear that I think, and you guys can disagree with me, but I think if Diani does turn out to be an upgrade on DJ, I think that's a really good thing because you need those players, those really solid players who can fill in, who can do a job, who can make some starts to be successful in this league. And if he turns out to be that, I think that that makes him an excellent signing because all it's really cost us is an international slot. So you know what? I figured it out, which we have a million international slots now. We've traded for literally all of them. Um, I figured out why my brain isn't ticking on this one. And that is DJ was in the things he was good at. He was quite good at them, right? He was fantastic at holding the ball. He could push a guy off and run. He could intercept a pass quite well. He could see the play when it was ahead of him. Uh, He was a decent destroyer number six. And he brought about quite a bit of calm into the midfield, especially with his height and his presence. I always felt like DJ wasn't missing. I I, I never thought he needed to go from a general sort of 6.5 out of 10 to a general 8 out of 10. I always thought he needed one more skill, right? He needed the ability to pass a devastating ball, or he needed the ability to finish when he ran into the box late. If DJ could finish, if he was an absolute clinical killer, DJ would be in this team right now and we'd never be taking him out. He needed one extra skill set that I didn't see out of him. And I guess my question here is, I see Diani as being that one step up, that 6.5 to 7. I don't know if I see that extra skill set that I really wanted to see. Ewan, am I crazy? No, I think specifically from to take your point and and almost adjust it a little bit to what I was hoping for from what you would call a direct DJ replacement is that I would be hoping for that replacement. Like when you find out that, okay, we're letting DJ go. Okay. Fair enough. People have their opinions on it. I'm hoping that the replacement comes in. Maybe you sacrifice a little bit from the physicality standpoint, but you get a little bit from the on ball standpoint. That's a trade off where even if it's an even trade off where is a little bit, uh, a little bit less physical, and a little bit, you know, you're sacrificing a little bit of the physical profile, but you're getting a little bit more in terms of the build-up. That would ultimately benefit the team because that's what the team is crying out for. We have some decent physical profiles in there. We don't have that same profile in terms of build-up. So that's what I would be specifically looking for in terms of that upgrade. When we talk here about, can he be just that little bump above DJ? The problem is that specific area where I would like that bump to be, from what I've seen so far, I, I don't think it exists. That's kind of my worry with this, is that he could be a better version of DJ in certain areas, but the area where I'd really like him to be better, from what I've seen so far, I, I don't really see it. And I don't think he's been trusted by that team in those areas to be that guy either, which is almost more worrying than what you actually see on him on the ball is the fact that they obviously didn't trust him to do certain things and and an unwillingness to play on the half turn in the early build-up. So that's kind of my worry. I, I think that I think that's a fair worry to have. But at the same time, we go into this with a fairly open mind. Um, and, and I do think that the, the positives that I saw out of him from what I saw and the areas where it could be that DJ upgrade, where he's a little bit more attentive to the loose ball, 
DJ kind of had his, uh, he was a little bit, he had his feet in the mud a little bit when it came to loose ball situations. It's like, God, all that size and you're not getting a foot in in these areas. Diani's really attentive there. So I do think we'll get upgrades in certain areas. Just the area where I'd really, really have liked that upgrade, I maybe don't think we'll get that. So you, your concerns are, are very valid, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we can kind of, kind of not kill it. I think we can stop on Diani there. He's a, he's a good signing for Charlotte FC. I think he has the potential to go on and stake a claim here at Charlotte FC, whether or not he does. He definitely has a, a place in this team that he's going to have to fight for. There are other people around that midfield area that he's going to have to show he deserves to be there. I don't think this is going to be someone who comes in and just gets the shirt no matter how he plays. One of the things that that means is that there's competition in the squad and... Competition in the squad is usually a good thing, uh, except for wingers <clears throat> right now, which we could potentially use more competition for. I, I think I talked last time about the fact that I hadn't quite gotten hype for this season yet. It hadn't hit me yet. I wasn't, I wasn't kicking down the doors to, to you know, wear my Charlotte FC shirt yet. And then it was brought up to me that the atmosphere around the club right now is actually quite good that we may not have the big statement thing, we may not have the, oh, here's our, our shiny new toy, but what we do appear to have is a team that is either starting to mesh together as people or doing a really good job of faking it on social media. And either way, well done. I like that, and Dean Smith does appear, and again, I have to say appear. For all we know, it is possible that these guys despise each other in the locker room, and Dean Smith comes out right before they turn on the cameras. He says, look like you're having fun or you're fired, and I'm not paying you any more money. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> but if you look at the videos of them in the pool, playing volleyball, having header challenges on the pitch, you know, listening to Scott Arfield play the guitar... If you look at all these videos, it seems like a pretty good atmosphere is developing. And perhaps some of the thorns in Charlotte FC's side from a player's not being happy perspective, etc., have started to be pulled out. Josh, I'll start with you on this one. What have you seen in the Charlotte FC camp? Do you think it's as happy as it looks, or do you think this is kind of a media blitz? Um, I think it's... All of those things, longtime listeners will know my specific feelings on preseason in that nothing matters with it. I've been pretty consistent with that. Obviously, that's a little tongue in cheek, and there are some things that do matter. In general, I think a while ago we talked sort of about how, you know, in an initial press conference, there are certain things you look at, and if they're there, great. And if they're not there, that's when you get worried. And it's a similar thing for me with this preseason. I kind of always expect to see these fun hype videos coming out and you wanna see that. If we weren't seeing that, I think that's a real cause for concern. We are seeing that. I don't know that that's necessarily a cause for optimism or, or over, like getting overly excited with it. But the new manager bump is real. We see it all the time at different, at, you know, at different clubs. Usually we talk about it when it's mid-season changes, but I, I think a new season always excites fans, players, whoever. And I imagine a new season coming in with a with a guy as experienced as Dean Smith probably gives a little bit added boost to that. And I think that we have to look at it and as as even if we wanted 
even if you were someone who wanted a, a Karol Swiderski or a Camille Jujuyak to stay at the club, the fact that they're gone does mean that there's a lot of playing time available and players want to play. And I think that in and of itself is something that players can legitimately get excited for is there are, two, there are a lot of minutes with those two gone that are up for grabs. And because we haven't really signed anyone, if you're on this squad, it feels like you have a chance at them. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think I'm happy enough with it. Maybe I, I said I drank the Dean Smith Kool-Aid early on. I like. I'm trying to decide whether I'm just a fan. It's really hard to separate out when you're just a fan and when you have something that you feel like is logical. When you take out pieces that can be toxic or can be thorny or or can just not fit, you know, somebody doesn't have to be a bad person to to not fit in the club. When you take out pieces that don't fit, you do see a certain joy and a certain culture change and a certain uh, fun about the game return to a squad. And I do see that in Charlotte FC. And I have to admit, I am personally struggling with whether or not I am looking for it because I know I have seen it be successful at other clubs because I've seen other clubs where they've taken out the big guy where they've ripped out one or two of the fancy wingers who were making a stink on social media and they've, they've lost money on those people to get them out. And then they were left with a team that was bare bones and didn't have enough players to compete in cups or a team that didn't really have any big names on it. And somebody else steps up, right? You lose two leaders and suddenly two of the young guys grow into leaders. So there will always be people who fill these positions, how well, et cetera, Ewan, uh, is my is my being a fan of Charlotte FC taking me over here? No, I, I, it's like what Josh says. Preseason, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's that what happens in preseason can be turned whatever way you want it based off what happens at the beginning of a season. If we get five games in and things are going well, people will look back at the you know the the volleyball stuff and everything like that and the camaraderie and think. You know, oh well, you know, look at the look at the team chemistry that's really set us on our way. And if we mm-hmm. have a bad opening five games, people will look at that and say, Oh, while well, all the other teams were, you know, working hard and get, being put through their paces, there we were in the pool, just having a good time and uh and, and and not working on what really matters. So it's you can kind of take it and and put it in whatever direction you want it. And obviously as a fan, people will be more likely to lead in that positive direction and say, Okay, this is a good thing. I do think it touches on what we have had conversations about with regards to um, what's gone wrong in the past, most uh, notably with someone like Christian Latanzio, whereby the man management aspect has been missing. And with Dean Smith, you, you know, you, you get that in droves. And to get examples of that kind of happening with him being involved with it, you don't want to take massive takeaways from it. I like, I, like a lot of people, and like Josh says, I'm not someone who takes massive takeaways from preseason in general. But I do think that the team chemistry, the team camaraderie part, not only is it something that matters, it's something that Dean Smith is known for. And here we are getting examples of it. So I think you can put a lot of stock into the fact that this will be a team with a lot more harmony about it, maybe than it has been in the past. And also, I think that you kind of give a little bit of credit to some of the players, not just uh, someone like Dean Smith as well. The people like Scott Arfield, the people like Ashley Westwood, the, the veterans who are kind of driving the culture with this. Um, I, I do think that this is probably a happier group 
than it was at the start of last season and at times during the middle of last season. Also bringing someone like Enzo Capetti, where you know people had their issues with him last season. He was in, he was out, there was injuries, he didn't get a preseason. He spoke himself about how he feels a lot better about his situation now um, than he did last season in an interview that came out, I think, was it yesterday? I think it came out. So yeah, I mean, it, what, he he ought to be feeling better. He's the one wearing the crown now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, there you go, there you go, exactly. So I do think that it's something. It is founded to say that this is a team that, you know, take the tactics out, take this out, whatever it may be. It's probably a happier group coming into this season than it was last season. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. Let's talk about the preseason that doesn't matter really fast. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes. Charlotte FC uh, go out and they win again because all Charlotte FC does is win again preseason. If we, if it's real, we're winning the league Uh, one over San Jose earthquakes. The one thing I want to talk about on this is the goal scored by Ashley Westwood. It's another volley out of the sky. And I cannot express to you how hard this is cannot clearly state in the English language how hard it is to see a ball fall from 20 feet in the air and to hit it perfectly before it hits the ground. It's just nuts. And there's very, very few things I look at in the MLS and I go, that is world class. That is the highest quality of football that exists. And Ashley Westwood's ability to strike a ball is the highest quality of world football that exists. I would put that level of ability against any player in the world because he's not doing it for fun. He's not doing it when, I mean, this is now what three or four he scored that way. He's not doing it because he is practicing on a training pitch. These are live games against real defenses. And you might say one of them was in preseason, but it was still the goal that put Charlotte ahead to win the game. It wasn't like we were up five zero or down five zero when everything was silly fun time anyway. Right. I love that. That's just fun to me. And I think it's important to call out things that are just fun. Uh, Josh, is there anything about us beating San Jose Earthquakes other than we remain undefeated in preseason that matters to you? No. Again, no. preseason, it's all fake. Nothing matters. Show me a real <laughs> game. In, in seriousness, I will say, again, I, I say it a bit tongue in cheek results what I, what I will harp on is results for me don't matter it's always great to win the games but i believe last year we might have been undefeated in preseason and then we struggled out the gates right so for me it's more about what are you what connections are you making as a team on the pitch during these preseason games i am i am just as happy if the midfield uh chemistry is being worked out if we're losing five to two as if we're winning one nothing as long as that chemistry is being worked out the results doesn't don't matter to me it is always more fun to win regardless of whether it's a friendly preseason real playoff doesn't matter you always want to win yeah um I'll, i'll move us along really quickly because at time of recording on wednesday we have just beaten uh phoenix rising 3-0 to continue undefeated in coachella another great win for for the crown another preseason win uh probably the biggest thing i have to say out of this one is uh Berchimus. Berchimus gets a goal which i think is really good for his development really no matter how it comes about getting one for charlotte fc good for him uh adilson melanda gets a goal 
I have never thought of Adilson Milanda as a goal scorer. So if by luck, by chance, or just by pure strength in the box, he can add something to his his bow and get us a couple of goals this year, great. And uh, Nicholas Scardina, who has been on this podcast, uh, gets a goal. And he has proven himself to be a bit of an all-round player. And if he's now getting goals as well, great. Uh, Ewan, anything else you want to add on to that? Um, I can't say too much about this uh, specific game, because obviously uh, not only are we recording just after it, but it's the only game in Coachella that we're going to play that I don't think was available for any kind of streaming. Um, so there won't actually be any footage of this game released other than those those uh, tweets that are put out of the goals that we score uh, on the official Twitter. So just taking from those a little bit uh, from what I've seen and also what we've seen so far from the friendlies that we already have, I do worry about our actual chance creation as a whole. Um, I, I do wonder if we are going to be a little bit momentsy, a team that kind of relies on its moments and getting bits of a little bit of quality here and there. Um, and if the overall tactical idea is if we can have good athletic players, if we can get the ball up quickly and be direct and we can press high, if we can exist as much in their final third as possible and the ball drops, we will have moments where we'll be able to show bits of quality. That's expressed in the Westwood goal that I think was uh, expressed a little bit. Obviously, I don't have the full replay of this, but in Virtuous's goal for this uh, for the second goal in this game, it does seem like a bit of an innocuous situation where out of it, we do pull out, uh, he pulls out a really, really good finish uh, from decent range of about 20 yards. And I know that Malanda's goal is from a free kick, which um, if you're talking about being momentsy and relying on moments, set pieces are almost the bread and butter of that. So it's good to see that we're thriving from these areas. Again, good that we're winning, not that the results matter too much, but you'd rather win than lose. That's just the concern that I would be looking at. And um, obviously I'm, I'm always a little bit of a pessimist. I'm always trying to look out for the concerns rather than think too much about the positives but I would like to see our chance creation be a little bit better I'll also mention on this the lineup that we play in this game it's a little bit of a mishmash of uh, of younger players and senior players and and um, I I think that what we want to be looking at and a big takeaway from from this as a whole is that the final game that we play in Coachella I would massively buy stock into that as being that's the team we're going to go with we've seen mishmashes of this we've seen this we've seen five or six substitutions be made on 60 minutes in these games between 45 and 60 minutes. I mean, the team that we put out in our final preseason friendly, I think that's probably going to be the team that we go with. So I'll be very, very interested to see what that team is. Well, I mean, there are a couple of players who could yet be added to that potential team. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about them today, but we are going to touch on them because we have been linked and some of them fill uh, potential concerns for Charlotte FC. Uh, I'm going to really quickly touch on Luciano Rodriguez, Uruguay, a Uruguayan winger, young man, a lot of potential talent, uh, comes from not the Liverpool you're thinking about, 20 years old. I very briefly looked at him, and he seems dynamic and he seems exciting, but uh, the truth is until we have gotten any further word as to whether or not he's coming to Charlotte FC... I didn't dive that deep into him. Josh, do you want to touch on Franco Gonzalez? Yeah, so Franco Gonzalez is another really young Uruguayan. A little bit of discrepancy about where he plays. I've mostly seen him listed as like a midfielder, central attacking kind of guy. Maybe he plays on the wing a little bit too. Um, 
he played the the 2023 season as a 19 year old and scored across two different teams four goals in 26 appearances aside from that i don't know much about him i think all you all you would say is that if a 19 year old is consistently getting into teams and popping up and scoring a couple goals that probably speaks to his level of talent and as you said i think it also speaks to the way this this club is building this team which is identifying young high level talent and trying to get them into the side um whether that is immediately or in the case of guys like pekovic maybe a year or two down the road so obviously josh uh if we go back just one step this would be a a potentially quite large transfer for luciano anything you want to talk about there um just that that's what worries me about it there's also supposed interest for rodriguez from feynord and river plot it's reported that it would be a top five MLS transfer. It reminds me a little bit of the Gronbeck situation where I assume the interest is real, but it seems like we're targeting highly thought of guys. This guy scored the game win- the the tournament winning goal at the under 20 World Cup. So he's not an unknown quantity. And when you have to fight off other teams, it does worry me a little bit. With that said, like Gronbeck, if you somehow get it across the line, I think it would be something that would be really, really exciting. All right, Ewan, I didn't mean to hold you out of these, buddy. Any thoughts on on these two young players who could be coming to Charlotte? Um, I can't say too much. Um, uh, of, I mean, the, the the main guy that I have thoughts on is, is Luciano Rodriguez. I don't know too much about Franco Gonzalez, to be honest. Obviously, this is stuff which has come out fairly recently, so... Obviously, if, if there's more that comes about with it, then I'll um, I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more. And uh, if it does materialize that we sign him, hopefully what we see is good. But with Luciano Rodriguez, he's someone that a lot of clubs know a fair bit about. And very similar to Gronbeck, it would be a massive, massive coup to sign him. Um, what will actually happen if people hear this and it's the first they've heard about Luciano Rodriguez is that they'll probably search him and uh, what you'll find is is a pretty amazing goal which has actually happened today. Um, mm-hmm. A goal for about <laughs> about 30 yards where he takes the ball, gets it out of his feet and uh, and, and scores an incredible goal which obviously just putting a little uh, a little bit more on the price uh, on the price tag potentially there. But he is he's known he he's a known quantity and. You talk about fighting off those maybe bigger clubs with bigger budgets. We're also fighting off um, his international manager, who's taken a massive liking to him in Marcelo Bielsa, who has kind of banged the drum for him to sign for uh, for River. So he's encouraged that. I don't know how much sway that has with him. You'd imagine it might have a fair bit because, like I say, Bielsa has taken a massive, massive interest in him as a player. So we'll wait and see, but I would be absolutely buzzing if we were if we if we actually signed him. But in the similar situation with Gronbeck, it's a pinch of salt kind of situation. So uh, we'll wait and see. It's all come out today. We'll probably have more next week. And uh, yeah, if it does materialize that it's real and we are able to sign him, God, I would be very very happy. <laughs> yeah, we will likely have more next week. Uh, I imagine that as close to the season as this is, if this is something they're really trying to push through, we're gonna know soon. Uh, we have some news at the Crowncast. Obviously, we will shortly be releasing uh, the episodes for the Premier League side of things. I will be attending uh, the Premier League myself. I will shortly be in England, where I will get the chance to meet the famous Ewan himself. Uh, and it will be really good to meet you in person, buddy, and not just through the microphones. 
Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a funny one for me. Obviously, I'll uh, I always thought that the first time we'd have some kind of meeting would be me coming over for a game, but obviously things have materialised this way. So uh, it'll be my pleasure to uh, take you through some of the sites of, uh, of Manchester. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good day, and um, I think we've got it sorted that we're gonna go to Old Trafford. So uh, I'll try keep my uh, I'll try keep my uh, feelings to myself while I'm going around there. But it is a uh, yeah, it's, it's a it is a historic good. ground, even if it's not the one probably both of us would originally want to visit. <laughs> I will uh, I will go ahead and warn you, you don't know this, but this is actually my kidnapping you. So just make sure that when I grab you, you've got enough clothes and your toiletries and whatever else you need uh, for when you eventually end up coming back to America for an, yeah. an undetermined amount of time. When I when I wake up clockwork orange style with my eyes peeled back <laughs> watching uh, Luciano Rodrigo footage, I will uh, I'll, I'll I'll simultaneously be in my element but also very much out of it. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll prepare for that. <laughs> All right, uh, Josh, thank you, thank you, and Ewan, thank you. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Thank you, and most importantly to you, dear listener, thank you so much. If you've chosen to spend your time with us, we love you. If you'd like to spend more of your time with us, if you'd like to see some of the other interesting things we're doing, we have released the Crowncast Patreon. Uh, we will be doing our, our first special releases coming up pretty soon. You can find us uh, at the Crowncast on Patreon, and it's just $5 a month. So if you can support us this year, we will be doing the post-reacts over on Patreon, as well as some player scouting stuff. We're probably going to do one on DD and see if we can get a little bit more into the the nitty-gritty. We will definitely be doing one on Luciano if he signs for the club. And there's going to be all sorts of fun stuff, including I think you'll be able to follow some of my trip to England over there. So I know I've said it already, but we love you. And we will talk to you again when I'm in England. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com 